What was it actually like going through the chemotherapy? Uh, were you tired? Were you able to keep this positive mindset? Like, what was it actually like going through that journey of actually having the therapy? Chemotherapy is rough. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Uh, my oncologist said to me, I'm going to give you the strongest chemo your body can take because you're young. There is no family history here and I just need to kill everything inside you. Mm. Thanks. Welcome to the Prime Life Project podcast, a place to help you unlock your full potential, both mentally and physically, to become the best version of you. Welcome back to another episode of the Prime Life Project podcast, a place to help you both mentally and physically become the best version of you. I'm your host, Daniel James, and today I've got someone coming in all the way from Australia. I must say coming in, she's not sat here with me in the studio, unfortunately, but she's from the other side of the world. So I'm talking to a Brazilian who's sat in Australia. Uh, we're currently recording during the World Cup. Uh, and I was like, oh, you're excited Australia have gone through. And then she's pulled the Brazil card, which is kind of like cheating. Like when you're Brazilian, it comes to football, it's kind of like cheating. Um, but my guest today is Angelica Allen. Angelica, how are we? I am good. And it's not cheating. Come on. When it comes to football, you have to pull the Brazilian card, right? You have to. I, I, <laughs> you I, I, you... <laughs> I, I used to live with I used to live with a Brazilian in America and he always used to pull that card. And I was just like, oh, it's like you're cheating. Like you guys just you like even when you guys don't have a good team, you've got a better team than most of the world. So it's like, like your exactly. bench could, your bench could pretty much win the World Cup by itself. It's like, oh dear. Anyway, so um <laughs> We've got, we've got a real deep topic to talk about today. Um, like I said, it's a topic yeah. that I think a lot of people can relate to in some description because obviously we're talking about cancer and a lot of people um, either have suffered with themselves, unfortunately, or they know someone that has. So it's it's something that's kind of intertwined with a lot of people. Uh, but then we're going to basically talk about that and then the evolution of yourself after that. So can you sort of take my audience back to where this sort of journey started for you uh, and how it all came about? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much for uh, having me. Um, it's a it's a real ple- pleasure for me to be sharing my story. And I think, like I said, it's such an important uh, subject these days because I think it's one in two people have been diagnosed with cancer. And and you know, and I look like this. I was thirty eight years old, no family history, and I didn't see it coming. And to be honest, even the doctors were baffled. You know, they could not see that coming at all. And when I look back, the signals were like. You know, I was just exhausted, but I was, um, you know, back then my kids were six and four. I mean, who is going to go to the doctor and say, hey, my name is Angelica. I'm 38 years old and I'm tired. You know, I'm exhausted. It'll be like, OK, with, well, with two, you know, with two you've kids. Got kids. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I've got kids and you work, you know, like so I thought to myself, I just have to keep going. Right. Like, what what should I complain about? Everybody's tired. But when I kind of went to the doctors, you know, there was a marker, which was my, I was iron deficient. And that was the justification that I needed. I started taking the iron tablets and magically I thought everything's going to go away, right? So, you know, you don't think about anything else. You just go, okay, easy solution. I'm going to take the tablets and I'm just going to be all good. But the exhaustion never left me. And even though in my blood work, it showed that my iron had gone back to normal. I was beyond exhausted. Like I could pass out on a Saturday afternoon watching a video with my kids, like, into another world. I've never been so tired. I would wake up tired. I would just be constantly tired. But I kept pushing myself. Mm. You know, I just kept going and I kept just, you know, going to work. I never missed a day of work and kept doing things with the kids and all of that. And towards kind of, I would say, two months or three months before my diagnosis, that's when I started having more kind of signs that things were not right. But kind of I had this niggling feeling like deep down that something was terribly wrong, but I just didn't want to see it. You know, I kind of thought to myself, you know, come on, I'm 38 years old. I'm invincible, right? Mm. Like when you're kind of young, right? And 38, it's, I still feel like, you know, you're considered like young. You're like, I'm invincible. Like things like, you know, cancer. I never allowed myself to Google things like cancer or I was just like, I'm not going to have any of that. Mm. You know, I'll be fine. And towards the end of my diag, like towards my diagnosis, I started uh, having some bowel movement changes, which could mean so many different things. Again, the doctors were like, okay, well, you know, now, you know, we could, it could be the iron tablets, but I stopped the iron tablets and I went back to being iron deficient. They were like, okay, well, now maybe you should do a colonoscopy and you should have a look at the gynecological side as well to see if your periods, if there's anything that we could do about that. And you know, there was, you know, people asked me, were you in pain? Were you like, you know, in agony? Were your limbs falling off? No, 
nothing was happening. I was going into work every day. I was living a normal life. And there was a stage three cancer growing inside me, mm. you know, and, and nothing, you know, nothing was kind of nothing had changed really apart from the exhaustion that was always there. And one day I woke up and I kind of didn't feel right. I didn't feel like eating. And I am a good eater and I eat a lot. <laughs> and you know, like when you wake up and you feel like, I just don't feel like eating. I was like, there's something terribly wrong with me here. And with everything that had been going on, I thought, okay, um, I braved my daughter's party in the park. And I, at the end, I said to my husband, you need to drop me at emergency. And as he dropped me there, you know, the doctors looked at me. I was like this. Mm. Look at my blood work, nothing wrong, nothing wrong with my blood work. And, and, you know, he's like, look, I can't put everything, everybody that comes through, you know, the, the hospital doors through a CT machine, you know, it's mm. radiation. We need to really evaluate what's going on with you. Yeah. You're waiting for a colonoscopy, but I'm not going to fast track you into anything here. What's wrong with you? Mm. A lot of people that come through, they have mental problems. Mm. You know, anxiety, you know, they, they talk about, you know, I, I, I don't feel well. I don't feel, you know, I feel kind of a queasy, you know, and I kind of, I said to him, look, I just don't feel like eating and I haven't eaten anything. And I, you know, I'm just not going to go home. Mm -hmm. Anyway, after that hour of inquiring me, he put me through the CT machine and he was like, holy moly, mm. I can't believe that you're standing mm. in one side of my bow. I had poo like backed up and on the other side which is closer to the rectum so, sorry to be graphic no, here, okay. but the the bower had gone inside itself and even at that point he looked at it and he thought look that could be a polyp that could be you know you know the time of the ct we don't know what it is yet because there was nothing else that showed that i had something inside me that was sinister as I stayed in hospital, they kind of talked about sending me home. And I was just like, that gut feeling going, nah, I need to stay here. I I couldn't even face eating anything. That was just like a whole day without food. Mm. And they were giving me tablets to stop the nausea. And I still, I was like, I still feel nauseous. I don't feel like eating. And second day, they were like, mm, we need to start thinking that this is a little bit more serious. Third day, the doctors are looking at me going, oh, my God, if we have to open you up, you know, if this is cancer, it's going to be a very difficult uh, surgery because you've got this poo on one side, you know, the tumor is on the other side. And I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. like, w where does all that come from? Mm. And I was lucky enough that one of the senior consultants look at my paperwork from home. And because he was very good at what he did, he was like, guys, this is definitely cancer and I can come in and I can hopefully do this laparoscopy, leave this poo on the other side so we don't have to touch that because if this goes everywhere, she can die. Mm. And I can hopefully do this and she's going to be fine. Mm. And that was Easter, Easter Monday. Um, I was just talking to my kids about, you know, they were talking about, you know, why Christmas exists and Easter, and we were talking about it, you know, Jesus dying, mm. Jesus you know, and I was just like, oh, my God, you know, like the Monday when Jesus was, you know, resurrected, that was the day of my surgery. Mm. And um, the doctor came in. I didn't even see him. It was a very complicated surgery. And he took the cancer out, rejoined my bowel all laparoscopically and left all the poo. And I survived. And I didn't ha end up with a bag, you know, like, a, 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 you know, a poo bag. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any other complications. And he came by my uh, bedside, uh, you know, on the day of the surgery and said to me, um, you know, the surgery went really well. Uh, you know, I took, um, you know, the, the, he didn't call it cancer. He called it a tumor. I took the tumor out. I had a really good look at your organs and they look really good around it. Um, you know, I'm really happy with it. And I just looked at him and my husband luckily was by my side and I said, you know, is there any chance this tumor is benign? And he said, I'm sorry, it's not. And you're going to need 12 sessions of chemo. And that was it. You know, he dropped the bomb and left. How, I just... how, how, long, how long was it? Can I say, how long was it before? Like, how long were you in hospital from being originally walking in to then having that surgery? What was that time frame? It was three days. Wow. Like, so instead no, of three days, eating, completely three just days, like that. Just, 
like that. Yeah. And then and then you get, then you get that. that bomb. Then you get that bomb dropped on you as well. And I got that bomb drop, and and you know, and you could see he was at a total different level than anybody else because he wasn't scared of opening me up. He was, you know, he just came in with certainty. He was like, I went in, I had a really good look at August. It went well, but it is cancer, and you are going to need twelve sessions of chemo. And and as I as I kind of tried to kind of gasp for air, um, I believe in God and. I, you know, I'm not, I wasn't somebody that was going to church every day. And, and I just kind of reached out to God and I say, like, why? Like, why this? Like, this is dead serious. Like, I have two kids to raise. They are six and four. And it was, for me, it was almost as if I had the answer that and then. And, and the answer was, you need to forgive your parents. Mm. And I just went, I can't deal with this right now. I just can't even go there. So as I came back to my kind of, you know, recovering, I had to start chemo in a month's time. I had to recover from that surgery and start, you know, they kind of said to me, this is it. This is what you're doing. We have to start chemo straight away. You know, in one month, um, we're going to put a pick line on your arm. Uh, you know, if, if people don't know what that is, it's, it's a, a line that goes deeply into your arm and goes all the way to the top of your um, heart and that's where they put the chemo through so the chemo goes to the top of your heart and your heart pumps the chemo all over your body i i, I did not know that I, I i genuinely i had no idea that's how it works like that's bizarre to me how, how yeah how did you originally i just wanted to quickly go back to, to a, a little fraction uh what were the emotions that were going through you when you got that when the doctor said you've got to go through chemo because again everyone knows that word it's a very strong yeah powerful, just just it doesn't even sound yeah. nice so emotionally where were you at like when were you were you scared frightened were you um what's the word were you actually quite optimistic about it like what was going through your mind at that point i was super scared i was like so scared i was like I, for me it was just like cancer equals death chemotherapy equals death. I couldn't see a light. I was just like, how am I going to survive this? I did not know anybody who had gone through cancer close to me. I did not know anybody who had gone through chemo. So for me, it was just like, this is it. Like, I'm not going to survive this. How am I going to, how am I supposed to survive this? And I went into this spiral that every day I would wake up and I would just, please get me out of this nightmare. You know, like when you're trying to hold on to your dream, like, you know, I'm still in that dream, like that beach, you know, like sandy beach. And I would wake up and think like, you know, I hold, you know, like I don't have cancer. I don't have cancer. I just wake up and I thought, oh, my God, I do have cancer. I'm going to have to go through chemo. And I spent two weeks thinking about that. Say, you know, I'm going to die. There's no way I'm going to survive this. And one day my uh, husband took the kids uh, to, to the beach by himself and left me at home. And I just put some sad music on and I just allowed myself to cry for the first time in years. And I just cry and cry and cry for all the sadness that I had held on to, for all the anger, the resentment, the stress that I had allowed myself to, to, to put myself through it. And everything that I had decided to do up to that point that led me to that, that diagnosis. And I spent the whole day crying. After that day, I was just like, this is it. I'm ready. Mm. I'm ready for this now. Like, I, I can do this and I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this and I'm going to nail this. Mm. And, and around that time, I had picked up a few books on the library. Without knowing anything about it, I was just like, okay, well, let's just see how moms can deal with cancer, you know, chemo. And there was a book that it was about, you know, breakfast and chemo, whatever, about a mom. And it turned out that the lady had stage four by cancer. I did not know anything about it. And I was, as I'm reading this book, I'm reading that this lady is going to die. And she had three kids and she wasn't doing anything about it. And she kept, you know, not doing anything about it. And I don't want to say it, that, but she kept feeling like a victim and everything was bad and terrible and, and I just read this and I just kind of thought, I can't be that person. Mm. I've got to do everything I can to survive for my kids. I want, if I die, I want my kids to remember that I did everything I could to survive. Mm. If, if it's the only thing that I live for, that's going to be worth it. Mm. Even though there was so little. 
And for me, that's what kind of motivated me at first to to change and to go on this massive journey of like, I, I need to change. I need to change everything in my life. I can't keep living like this. So, so, so what, because so, that's, that's a real powerful thing, like you said, to, to the fact of you kind of come face to face with the fact of, okay, potentially there's a very real chance here that I might die of, or it's not looking good, but actually my kids are going to see me, at least I tried, because I think that's one of the biggest things, not just in this situation, not in this, this situation, but in general in life, a lot of people don't even try. They, they, yeah. they don't try anything. They just kind of like, yeah. so they sort of go with the flow. And it's like, okay, but I yeah. think the biggest thing you sort of mentioned there is you've, you've, you've changed that mindset and you're like, right, I'm going to give this everything I've got. And people never do that with anything. Obviously, you were kind of like at that crossroads where you didn't really have much choice. Your choice was no. try or don't try. So then you went through it. But most people in life are so comfortable that they just don't even try because they don't think they can try, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and I don't, I, I think I even surprise myself. Like when you talk about like, were you positive? Like I, when I look back, I don't think I was a positive person. You know, coming from Brazil, like we, we grow up thinking, you know, the government is terrible, there's a lot of corruption. It's very hard to be positive, you know, like, in, you know, you grow up with this kind of sense of like, oh, my God, you know, if I don't really do everything I can here, you know, there is nobody out there to help me. Mm. And and for me, it was just like, I need to change, like, my mindset completely. And I surprised myself because, you know, I overnight became like, I just need to see everything now on a positive side. Because again, I don't have a choice. I haven't got time. I don't have the energy to see things with a negative light anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, the setbacks, you know, and the setbacks were like, oh, there were so many setbacks, you know, at the beginning of the, of my treatments now getting, you know, you get a sore throat, you can't have a chemo treatment, you have to wait another week. You know, the doctors are telling you, oh, this is not good. Why is your body not recovering? Oh, you know, your body is, you know, this is crazy. You know, you're so young. You know, all of those little things that people tell you, you know, the cancer is, you enter in this tunnel when there is only fear around you. Mm. You can't expect people to give you hope in the cancer tunnel. The hope needs to come from you. You can't expect people to give you positivity. You know, every time you say to people, you know, oh, you know, you say to anybody, you say like, I have cancer, I have to go, to, to go through chemo. You can see they're planning your funeral in front of you. Mm. And you're like, whoa, 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 I'll be okay. Mm. You know, and, 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 and from that moment on, I actually stopped seeing them all together because mm. I, I, ha- I haven't got the energy to do that right now. I think that's a big thing, isn't it? And this is the thing for me. Um, I, I put myself, like, like you mentioned, I haven't had anyone touch wood um, personally that's, that's struggled with cancer. Obviously, I know some people have, but no one directly close to me. Um, I wouldn't necessarily know it myself how to be in that situation. Even right now, with the awareness that I've got, I still don't yeah. think I would know how to deal with that situation because it's like you don't want, it's like with anything, isn't it? People don't want to say the wrong thing yeah. and it kind of makes it worse. So again, yeah. just for, for people that go through this, like what in that situation, and I know, and I think I know the answer is going to be just be as normal as possible, but what do you, as someone who's going through that, what do you want or need from friends and family in that situation? Because you don't want pity, you don't want sadness, but you also yeah. don't want people to be overly fake. Because for yourself, you were in a very super positive mindset, but some people aren't in that. So if you're then going in at super positive and they're not there, it can probably cause a bit more conflict. So what's the best way to go about this as someone trying to help and support someone? Yeah, I think it's very much to say, you know, is that anything I can help with you, you know, can help right now, you know? And, and of course, you know, the person might say, you know, oh, you know, now there's nothing, I've got it. And then maybe cook them a meal. Mm. or look after their children. You know, we didn't have any family here, like, you know, z- zero family. Like, you know, when my husband needed to, to take me to, to the hospital, I would sp- spend five hours, six hours in the hospital, sometimes longer. You know, I needed somebody to pick my kids up from school, you know, from kindy, like those little small things, you know, like ask, but also do and take, and take uh, the initiative to do. Because most likely, you now we live in a society where people, you know, we are not inclined to be open to receiving help mm. because we live in we're so in, we want to be independent we've created this kind of you know way of living that we, we don't want to ask for help and that was a big shift for me you know like i lived in so many different countries i lived in europe you know in, in spain belgium england new zealand when I told my fr- friends I had cancer, I received parcels from all over the world, 
like people calling me. I could barely keep up with my messages. Mm. I just thought, wow, you know, like I matter. Mm. You know, I've touched people's lives. People, people love me for who I am. It doesn't matter, like you know, what I have or what I did. Or people love me for who I am. And I and I allowed myself to receive all of that love and the care and the help. You know, it took me time and practice. But I think it's kind of a, a two to waiting when you say, you know, what is the right thing? But also for, you know, if somebody with cancer is listening to this, you know, allow yourself to receive. Yeah. Because I don't think we we know how to do that anymore. Mm. There's a big thing. It's like, like you said, it's... Um... Obviously, in a situation, obviously, you know, you've got kids, just assume that they're going to need help with the kids. Like, just go and yeah. do that again. Assume that they're going to need food again, especially again as a husband. Most men can't cook properly. So, assume, yeah. assume they can't cook. So, go and offer help. Just do me, just go, like I said, be a bit proactive. Yeah. So, again, I absolutely love that. So, can you talk to me again, uh, moving out of this? What what was it like actually going through chemotherapy? Because, again, I've got no real lived experience, like from someone close to me. Like, and again, people don't tend to talk about it, but what was it actually like going through the chemotherapy? Uh, were you tired? were you able to keep this positive mindset like what was it actually like going through that journey of actually having the therapy chemotherapy is rough <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i'm not gonna sugarcoat this uh my oncologist said to me angelica i'm gonna give you the strongest chemo your body can take because you're young there is no family history here and i just need to kill everything inside you mm. thanks you know and it's it is the first time i you know, I went into the hospital, you receive part of it, and I would come home with a little pump. They'll be pumping chemo for 48 hours, you know, through this, the, the pick line that I had. And a nurse would come to my house and disconnect the little pump. It was like a baby bottle. Mm. And the first time she disconnected this pump, no joke, you know, like this movie, like where people are having like a, you know, transporting moment of I'm out, you know, I was, you know, and I've, you know, I, I've have taken drugs in my life, but it was a little bit like that. Like, mm -hmm. this is it. Like I'm hanging on here with like my, hanging on to my life by a thread. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, just focus on your breath. And as I, I, I'm trying to get grips of like, I, how can my body go through this for another 11 times? Mm -hmm. But as I'm sitting there and, you know, and thinking all of that, you know, I, there was a, a, an incredible moment during chemo because for me, I became so present with my breath and with my body that for the first time I thought, wow, you know, I know it's the chemo, but I have dragged myself to the ground so badly. I have been dragging my body, abusing my body for so long. Look at what it came to. Mm. And, you know, and as I kind of start, you know, kept holding on to the breath because that's all I could, I could even move. And I kind of heard my, you know, felt my heart. And I just felt like this sense of like, you know, my heart is aching. You know, I've been so sad and I've been holding on to so much anger. Why? You know, why have I done this to myself? And, you know, those little moments, it started really shifting and changing me as a person. And I started really honoring my body and, and like treating my body like this little temple and this little baby that you, you know, you have such a, a loving relationship with, you know, and as I say this, you know, I can feel in myself like I have this beautiful relationship with my body now mm. that i've i've promised myself i'm never gonna lose this connection Is because it... i think we we get so disconnected right from from this mm. but we need we need our bodies to live in this world it puts it into perspective doesn't it because people want to talk about success they want to talk about money and i, I heard someone talk about, i think steve bartlett um talking on something on instagram and he basically turned around and said that people say they want all these things money house blah 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 blah. But he says no one actually says they want health first because like without your health you can't have any of these things you can have all the money in the world if you don't have your health irrelevant you can have the best partner in the world yeah. if you don't have your health irrelevant so actually with this there it's just that perspective change for you and then it kind of put it in perspective yeah. i'm holding on to all this hatred and anger towards certain people and again i don't know the ins and outs but even if they've done you wrong 
is it worth holding on to it at the detriment of your own yes. body? Yeah, yeah. And and it's very easy to say, oh, you know, I put my health first. I did say that too. But when it comes to the real world, and I, I speak to so many people, and you probably have done that with clients on sales calls, you know, and they, they tell you like, you know, what they're trying to do with their lives. And you're like, but, but wait, you can't do any of this because your health is in shambles. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, you, you're dragging yourself out of bed every day and you're trying to build a success or empower a business or whatever. But you, you can't you see that, you know, it doesn't quite fit. You've got to look after your health first. Mm. And, and it's the same with like, you know, mental health. You know, when people talk about mental health, you can't just, you know, undo, you know, all the mental health issues that we're having these days if we don't look after our physical body. Mm. You know, if all you're doing is shoving, you know, like processed food and drinking alcohol and doing drugs and, you know, while you're just meditating every day, mm-hmm. it's not going to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you you really need to do, it needs to be hand in hand, right? Like go hand in hand together. Mm-hmm. Was that, is that is that connection is it, between the body and the mind that people don't realize? And I think a lot of the stuff, again, yeah. is it, it's like the chicken or the egg. Did the mental health start and then the body decline or did the body decline and then the mental health start? Because, again, it's one of things where, it, for me, I, I personally believe the, men, the mind controls the body. So it's normally something deep-rooted there that people don't realize. And then they turn to the foods for comfort and stuff. And they kind of don't realize yeah. what they're doing. And like, like you sort of mentioned earlier on, it's very easy in this day and age to live unhealthy. The way that I say to my clients is, if you look at what average is, if you look at what normal is, it's not good. So it's like you think that you're normal, which is great. But actually, if you look at the the statistics, that is not a good place to be. You almost have to go above and beyond now to actually be fit and healthy, which is what we should be. That should be the default, but it's not. It's the opposite way around. People can't seem to get their head around that. And it's like you sort of said there, it's understanding that you've got the power, like it's within us. And we we are waiting for external people, things or situations to come in and save us. But kind of what you realized was, was like, now I'm the only one that can do this here. Like people around me, they can't do this for me. The doctors can't do this. They can only do their medical training. That's only yeah. going to get so far. I then have yeah. to help me get through this. Yeah. You only have to sit at the reception room of the cancer center to realize that what they're doing alone is not going to save you. I mean, a lot of people can't even sit there. I mean, I've spoken to people that said, I, 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 you know, it created so much anxiety just by sitting there and seeing people. I mean, I it was to see people because you see the same people because they're in the same cycle as you coming in one day, walking and talking the next day on a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. They can, they, you know, can, can barely walk or talk. You know, I knew that I needed to do, I needed to change a lot of things. I needed to change. You know, the way I was eating, like I said, I, 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 I was an average, like totally. If most of my friends are like, but how come you had back cancer? You ate so healthily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, we cooked from scratch, you know, every day from home. We didn't eat a lot of processed food. But what it is average this day, like I said, average is no good. Mm-hmm. You know, average is killing us. Otherwise, our health, you know, the, the health in in general would be getting better, but it's only getting worse. Mm. I tell my everything that I've changed, I changed my kids' diet and my husband's diet. And we changed together as a family. And I I I have a serious conversation with my kids all the time. I tell them if you want to be healthy, you're gonna have to to say no to sugar for the rest of your lives. Because the, guess what? Everything we, there is in the supermarket, 95% apart from fr- fruit and veggies, they've got sugar in it. It's not easy. It's hard. All your friends are going to be drinking soft drinks every day. They're going to be drinking, you know, God knows what. You know, like you need to, to empower yourself and to make your own decisions because what everybody else is doing is making them sick. Mm. You need to, to take charge. And it's not going to be easy. So for me, I think with this as well, this is this is this is my view on this. I my my personal view on this is when it comes to things like um again, processed foods different when it comes to things like your sugars and your sodas and stuff. I don't necessarily think that they're the problem. I think my problem with this is what I think that the issue is, is if you look at some of the studies of uh, our mindset when we eat. And there's been studies that show mm-hmm. that when you're eating, if you're in a super stressed state, your the whole digestive system 
cramps up. Macy shuts down essentially. So what's happening is we're eating food, whether it's good for us, bad for us, whatever. We're eating food, even if it's yeah. healthy. Like you say you're eating healthy, so you're eating what's healthy food. But mentally, yeah. you're tormenting yourself, like you said, you're holding on to stuff. Like what you're actually yeah. sending to your body, the signals. Your body's then in this really, ha- whether it's expressing itself as anxiety or not, internally the body knows. And what's happening is your digestive system won't be working optimally, yeah. and then things start to slow down, and then start to shut down or not work properly. Yeah. And that's kind of what it is. So it's not necessarily the food; it is the food, but it's not all the food because, as you yeah, said, not- you, you can eat as healthy as you want, but as we've sort of mentioned, if your mind's not right that's what's causing all the issues and whether you're expressing the anxiety or whether you're expressing rage if yeah you're, if you're suppressing it then the body's going to be taking the brunt of it yeah. if that makes sense i totally agree with that and um and i think there is when people ask me why do you think you got cancer i would say 33 percent was diet you know for me i ate too much sugar i ate uh too much animal protein and i ate uh yeah it, it's just like I've, you know, literally now the level that what I eat now is completely different than what I eat before, what I ate before a cancer. Uh, 33% was the stress and 33% was the emotional healing that I needed to do. I think stress also, you know, keeps kind of beating our body down to the ground, you know, like, as in, like I said, you know, like you're, your stress, you know, it has been proven that one stressful situation shuts your immune system down for five hours. Mm-hmm. Now, once I read that, I was like, well, I can't afford that. <laughs> I need to deal with stress differently. Mm-hmm. Not as somebody who's had cancer. You know, and, and like you said, you know, I don't, you know, food is not all of it. Like one of the oncologist nurse who had been working there for eight years, and at the end of my cancer treatment, he said, Angelica, well done. You know, like you finished the cancer treatment. And I said, well, not everybody finished. And he said, no, in eight years of oncology, I've seen four people finishing this treatment. And I said, oh, how? And, you know, nobody told me that at the beginning. And he said that they just get too sick in the middle and they can't cope with it. Hmm. And he said to me, and I said, but like, why do you think, you know, people get cancer in the first place? Now he's been, he he was a lovely guy. And he said, I think it's a stress. We see young people coming in, they're athletes, they're vegan, and they're 20 with cancer. Mm. But they put themselves under so much stress. Mm. You know, this is like, you know, lessons from an oncology nurse that seeing people in and out, coming in and out, regardless of their age, you know, ethnicity or, you know, background, whatever, you know, this is what they observe all the time. Mm -hmm. I think it's stress, the way we live our lives, um, you know, it's a, it's a major cause of any kind of chronic disease. Mm-hmm. I think as well, it's like, cause you've got stress on different levels. Like you said, you've got the physical stress. So again, athletes, physical yeah. stress, they've got mental stress. Yeah. You've then got toxic stress. And what I mean by that is like all the stuff you like putting on your body. So I think with this is like uh, the, the stress load. And this is the thing for me, uh, my, my view on this is, cause again, no one really knows what causes it. My view has always been when it comes to cancer is that basically you've got switches and for example, some people may need 10 switches turned on and they've turned nine on. So they're smoking, they're drinking, they're doing, they're doing all these yeah. things. And you're like, how are you fit and healthy? Well, they need 10 switches turned on. They've only got nine. Yeah. Other people mainly need three switches turned on and they've got three. Yeah. And again, it could be something so small, as you mentioned, where they are eating healthy, but actually it's the mental stuff that's got them. It's then the environmental toxins and all that stress within the body. So for me, it's like, yeah. it's almost like a look of the draw. But as you've said, it's like people aren't aware of all this stress that's going on within the body. Lack of sleep, it's stress to the body. Oh my gosh, stress. so bad. All of this stuff that people don't realize, that is all stress. And there's only so much yeah. stress. It's like that elastic band. There's only so far you can pull it until it snaps. Yeah. And I say this to clients, it's like, you keep beating, you keep beating, you keep beating. The body will slow you down either through illness or through injury. If you're going over the top, yeah. the body will say, no, 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 no. What you're doing is you're putting yeah. this energy on a credit card. It's now time to pay that off. So that's how you've got to see it. If you're running in this stress response constantly, like it literally just like credit card, credit card, credit card. At some point, yeah. you have to pay that back because the body needs to just actually reboot itself. And people don't seem to understand that. And again, it's not really spoken about openly. I think the the body definitely keeps a backlog. We think the body forgets, but I, I listened to a doctor once talking about sleep, actually. You know, people that were coming to her clinic with uh, sleep problems, and she, she said exactly that. The only time we're healing is when you're sleeping. Mm-hmm. And what happens when people start sleeping the body wants to sleep more because there is this backlog. 
that their body hasn't been able to keep up, you know, keep up with. And their body's like, please give me more sleep because I need to go through this, mm-hmm. right? And and I think, you know, what you talked about the switches, it's what epigenetics is, right? Like when I talk about the diet, like my dad was diabetic and my two grandparents were diabetic. So my switch to sugar, you know, of course I have to be careful with sugar, you know, no, perhaps not you because you don't have any the, the genes, mm-hmm. but like for me, you know, sugar, it's definitely something that I, I should not have mm-hmm. too much of, mm-hmm. you know? So once you turn that switch on, you know, by the time you eat a treat every day, you put sugars on your coffee, um, you know, you drink a beer every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, that's an average. Mm-hmm. That's an average life. That's the life that I live. You eat a, a bag of crisps with your beer. Mm. It's it's too much sugar. Mm-hmm. You know, and people look, but, but you know, like it's not too much. It is. Mm. Mm. And like I said, the switch is like, I totally agree with that, you know, and it's not, I don't think that people, they don't kind of, they don't see it. I don't think that they want to see it as well. Mm. Because when you're connected to your body, the body keeps giving you signs. You know, you get coughs and colds all the time. You know, you stop sleeping. If you are anxious, you get more anxiety. But people just keep suppressing it, pushing it and pushing. You know, and they just like ignoring, ignoring, ignoring. And they think it's never going to happen to them mm-hmm. until it does. And again, it doesn't even have like to be anything me. as it doesn't have to be anything as serious as cancer. Like cancer for me is like the extreme end. Like, but again, it doesn't mm. even have to be anything as serious as that. It could be that your body, uh, like I said, you end up with a, a severe, like debilitating migraines, for example. Or if you're a sports yeah. athlete, you get like a, a really bad injury out of nowhere. Well, the injury didn't come out of nowhere. Again, the body is all connected, so it's just that the added stress, stress, stress. And as you sort of said, I think a lot of people are aware. Well, I say some. I don't think people are very connected with themselves. Uh, and this is something where, again, I've That's had to really work on this. And again, we're coming from a place of we've been there. And this is why I find the podcast so powerful because we're coming from a place of we've been in this situation that like we're trying to guide people through this. But it's understanding that you know full well when you're doing things that aren't in line with how your body's meant to be feeling. As you said, there's warning signs. We're just kind of taught in society, oh, you're struggling with sleep. Here's a monster drink, like the monster energy drinks. Yeah. Yeah, Other drinks are available. (laughs) But again, it's just have this, have this. And that whole mindset of you've got to be working 24-7. You've got to be doing this. You've got to be successful. And it's like, what I say to, to clients is like, what is success though to you? Because success is all relative and people seem to put it on this monetary thing. And money's all well and good, but if you're too sick to spend it, makes no difference so success should yeah. be relative to each individual rather than what society is trying to tell us it should be if that makes sense so i'm very curious with this how do you work on this with because i know again i know you you, you work with people uh, to basically sort of help them through this process what is the first sort of thing you look at with with people when it comes to actually making that mindset shift because it's very hard to do that with people so how do you go about doing that I think it's a combination of changing their physical habits and their emotional habits. I really believe that everything we do is a habit. Like even when you talk about anger, anger is a habit. Mm-hmm. When I talk about my, you know, anger addiction, I get DMs all the time. Oh my God, how'd you get rid of this? You know, I get angry all the time. I get angry with the person driving slowly in front of me. I get angry about the, you know, the person in the post office. I get angry. And I'm, I am actually like surprised of how much anger, you know, people, you know, I living with, you know, I was really kind of at the beginning, I was like, you know, should I share this? You know, but guess what? Everybody's angry, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, and, and I think it's a combination of changing their physical and emotional habits. If somebody, for example, has never, ex- hasn't exercised for years and years, you need to get that person moving because you can get that person meditating, journaling, all the mindset shift, but if you don't get that energy in the body moving, it's very difficult mm-hmm. to change the mindset. I think the mind is powerful, but I think the body is more intelligent because the mind tells you all sorts of different things. Mm. But the body can really, you know, if you anchor your body in, in, in the habits, your body gives you back, mm-hmm. you know, and everything that you're doing starts compounding. And it's much easier for you to keep control of your mind. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination. It could be something as simple as like, you know, okay, well, let's just, what, can you start walking on spot for like 10 minutes at home while listening to three songs? Mm-hmm. And the person will feel bad about it, right? You know, can you start, you know, um, you know, if, if you're talking about like a mindset shift, then they'll be like, yeah, but I know, but I can't, I can't because, you know, I've got my kids and my dog, my pets and this and that. And then you, 
you know, you need to kind of really get that person thinking about the place that they are at. And mostly they are in suffering. It could be anxiety. So, you know, and I tell, I tell my clients all the time, look, I wake up every day and I remind myself when, once upon a time I had stage three back cancer. And the day that I can't bother, that get me exercising. Mm-hmm. That get me eating. That that gets me eating healthily. So if you have anxiety, you just tell yourself, "Do I want to get rid of my anxiety or not? Mm-hmm. Not get rid of it, but do I want to manage my anxiety better or not?" Mm-hmm. If that if the answer is yes, then you need to exercise. Mm-hmm. You need to, to to prepare yourself a healthy breakfast. Mm-hmm. Is is getting them thinking that it's all connected, and it, it's a combination of changing their physical and their mindset about it. Mm-hmm. And then taking them by the hand and going, you know, you know, just simple things like people are like, but I don't have time. And I said, okay, so what is the first thing that you do when you wake up? Did you check your phone? Oh, yeah, I check my phone. And I said, well, then you're not choosing you, are you? Mm-hmm. You're choosing your job because you're checking your emails. You're choosing social media because you want to check, you know, what your neighbors did yesterday or whatever. You, you know, in order for you to be healthy, you need to choose you first. That's the big thing with this is you've mentioned a lot of things here and I'm trying to unpick this. I'd like to take my notes while I'm going. Um, the word because, whatever people put after the word because, but just when people say, oh, I can't do this because, just really ask where that's come from because to make that mindset shift for me is a lot of stuff on the subconscious level that people aren't even aware of. So again, paradigms. So people don't paradigm does you have this belief system. Blah, blah, and it's all been programmed there for some reason. So let's say that I can't do this because I don't have time. Okay, well, what do you value more? Like, do you value, like I said, the social media or do you value your own life? Because you talk yeah. about kids. Oh, I can't because of my kids. Okay, what kind of example are you setting to your kids with this? It's yeah. like, but you, you can find time. It's just you don't have good time management. As you said, are you scrolling through social media? Are you procrastinating? Okay, if you're procrastinating, why are you procrastinating? There's reasons why. And normally, as we sort of yeah. looping it all the way back to the start, like at the start of this conversation, it's on a deep root level. People are struggling emotionally with some stuff normally they've got some yeah. deep-rooted stuff where yeah. they don't feel good enough they don't feel like they can and there's a great quote i can't remember i want to butch this but it's, it's not who you think you are that's, that holds you back it's who you think you're not so people oh yeah. I, i'm not good enough i don't deserve this like, it's all those things that deep-rooted in their subconscious that are kind of holding them back and they don't think they're good that they're good enough on some way shape or form and then they're making excuses yeah. for why they can't do it so justifying exactly that, that's all it is it's like as you sort of said when you're left with that thing with anxiety it's like, well, where's that come from? Oh, it's, it's just because of this. And they kind of like just wash it away. It's like, well, you can work through this. There's things that you can do, but people seem to be stuck in these old habits and patterns. And it's like, it's just almost like giving them a shake and being like, no, no, no. Like, yeah. it's like that, that thing on the airplane. Put your mask on first and then you can help other people. So you've got, you're saying that you can't because of your job, your kids, your partner, this, that. Okay. You're the common denominator. If you want to make these things easier, look after yeah. yourself. And then yeah. it becomes so yeah. much easier to, to show up as a better mum, to show up as a better partner, to show up as a better boss, to show up as a better employee. You do, you're doing it the wrong yeah. way around. Like sort this out first yourself and then everything else outside of you becomes easier and people have got it the wrong way around. I, I, that totally resonated with me. And that as I started going through treatment, I had to self-quarantine because I was getting like coughs and colds and I couldn't afford to have the delays in my treatment. I started spending a lot of time on my own and I am an extrovert. And firstly, I was like scared and I was like, what will I do? Like, like literally I was scared to spend time on my own because I didn't know who I was. When you become, you know, not only because I was a mom already, but, you know, becoming a mom, it it made it even worse because then I never put myself first. No, I have to be the best mom. I have to be this. I have to be always entertaining them and doing this for them and doing that for them. And, you know, I can't put myself first. It was all covered up. Because I couldn't bear spending any time with myself. I couldn't bear to spend any time feeling my emotions, feeling my anger, my resentment, and everything that I was feeling. And as I started spending time with myself and sitting with that suffering and that reality, and I was just, at times, it was really difficult. I was so disconnected from my body. I was so disconnected from who I was. But, you know, it, it took practice. I started practicing yoga at home and meditating and spending time just observing my thoughts. And it was everything was a mess inside here. They were just like, you know, when you actually observe that, sometimes you have to laugh. You know, like, why do I even think that? Mm-hmm. You know, this is insanity. 
And as I started spending time with myself, you know, I kind of started really liking myself. You know, and this sounds a little funny, but I'm like, wow, that I'm actually quite a cool person. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have to be scared to spend time with myself. Yeah, there is plenty of things that I need to work on that I could be better at, but I'm not bad. You know, I'm doing great. I've done some great things. And that's when I shifted my motivation from doing it for my kids for doing it for me. Mm. I just wanted to live for me. I was like, I want to, you know, travel the world still with my husband. You know, we've been together for 18 years. We love each other. We have a really loving relationship. I, I, I just want to live, you know, to spend time with him and do things with him. And, and, I want to do what I want to do in all my dreams. I want to dream again. Mm. And, and that was a, probably one of the biggest gifts that cancer has given me the opportunity to stop and spend time with myself and connect with myself again and, and learn how to love myself again. That is one of the biggest things I say to people. I say to people, you're not broken. You don't need fixing. You need to find yourself, forgive yourself and love yourself. And it's, that's what it is. And I, I love what you said there because yeah. uh, it's almost like people will think that you're selfish for what you said there, but people don't really understand what you're saying. It's like, it's like, oh, what it means you don't put your kids first? No, you should never put your kids first. You put you first because by you putting you first, you can then help your kids more. People have got it so backwards because they're, they're trying to be better parents because fundamentally people want to do the best for their kids, but they've got it the wrong yeah. way around. You have to find yeah. yourself first and really love yourself and do it, for, as you said there, you're doing it for you to get you started. And this is the big thing here. Like I say to my clients, especially if they've got a, a lot of body fat to lose, do it for your kids. If you can't do it for yourself to start yes. off with, do it for your kids because that's going to drive you. And that's what drove you for the cancer to start off with. Like, right, no, no, I'm yeah. doing this for my kids. But then what actually sees you through is you're, no, 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 you're doing it for you. And that's the yeah. biggest thing when you realize that actually, no, no, you're doing it for yourself so that yeah. you can then do it for your kids. That's the biggest thing because people don't want to do things for themselves because they think it's selfish or whatever it is. Yeah. Or the key thing is they don't feel good enough. They don't feel worthy enough. But once you realize that you are enough, that's one of the biggest things. I remember when I first meditated uh, properly uh, and I said to myself, for the first time ever, I said, I love myself. I said, I love me. Yeah. I burst out crying. I burst out crying. Yeah. It was the most bizarre, surreal thing I've experienced because it's, like, it's the first time I'd ever actually been at peace, been calm, and then told myself I love myself. It was the yeah. most surreal thing I've ever experienced in my life. Like I can say to myself, yeah. I love myself as much as I want, but until you actually get to a place where you mean it, bizarre, absolutely bizarre. Yeah, that's beautiful that you've done that. That's that's beautiful, and and I think in moments like that, you're so present with yourself, and you know, people talk about money, success, and you know, material things. There is not nothing can buy that moment. Mm. You know, not nothing can replicate being so present with yourself that you accept yourself, that you forgive yourself, and that you love yourself. And what you said about the kids, you know, what I realized as well is like, what kind of kids am I raising? You know, at the end of the day, if you're not filling your cup every day as a mom, you are becoming a screaming parent because you're stressed out. You've got nothing left on you, and you have got zero patience. And you're pretending that you're a perfect parent and you're doing everything for them, right? This is the world I live in and that, that's the reality of many people. Now, I have no hesitation to say to my kids, I'm sorry, I am tired, I'm not going to play with you right now. Mm-hmm. You, know, they, you know, it's important for them to understand I have my own needs, that I set my own boundaries, that I put myself first. How are they going to learn to put themselves first? Especially if you're raising, you know, a girl. I don't want to be, you know, but my my girl, like, you know, because as a woman, you feel like you have this kind of feeling that you need to nurture everybody. You know, my daughter, for the first time, when she came, when they came into hospital after my surgery, she was 40 years old, and I was trying very hard not to cry. And I am not, I'm not a person who cries very often. And she came in. And she said to me, like, mom, what is that eyes in your, what is that water in your eyes? And I kind of thought to myself, what kind of daughter am I raising? Mm. Is she going to be raised thinking that it's not okay to cry? Mm. What, what kind of, like, BS is that? Mm-hmm. You know, you have to cry in life, right? Especially in that situation. I know. If you're going to cry, that is, that is a time to be crying. I mean, just crying every three seconds. But I mean, in, in context, like 
it going through what you've gone through like that is a time like no 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 let it all come out it took me it took me a few months to allow myself to cry in front of my kids you know because I, you know this is the person that i had created yeah i have to be strong all the time i have to put others first i have to keep it all you know everything together you know and in that i was just crumbling away inside mm-hmm. and i and i think so many people are living like that mm-hmm. and i think this is why it's so beautiful you know that you know your mission to helping people especially you know the younger generation coming through and we talked a little bit about the first time we, we caught up you know the social media world it just you know gives this uh you know i wasn't on social media until two and a half years ago you know puts this you know this false world out there and people think that everybody has everything together mm-hmm. when we don't understand anybody's reality and we don't really know how they're living how they're feeling if they're really happy you know and and we go by this thinking like you know i just I need to chase this. I need to chase this dream and I need to chase this life and more material things and more things. Well, everything that we really have and it's important is it is within us if we want to. And from that place, from that solid back, like foundation, you can build whatever you want. But when you are building everything from this flimsy foundation, you're just building you know, a little house that is just going to be blown by the wind. And it's hard. It's like when you're constantly forcing oh, things, yeah. life should be effortless. Yeah. And we spoke about this with the Gillian the Harper episode when we spoke about the, the energies, natural bodies. Once you start to align yourself with who you are, yes. it becomes easy. And I think the key thing I want to really look back, so I don't think people, I think uh, people would miss it, especially if they're parents. Uh, what you're doing with your daughter and your kids is you're setting healthy boundaries and that's one yeah. of the biggest things you can actually do with your kids is set those healthy boundaries because, uh, again, if kids have no boundaries, they won't learn boundaries. And in the real world, they'll get absolutely smashed because in the real world, yeah. everyone has boundaries. And you need to understand that mummy can't play all of the time when you demand. Sometimes you want to do yeah. something and it just isn't possible. And that's okay. Yeah. But it's understanding actually the, the, the positive ways of actually communicating boundaries, actually doing it from a loving, kind place is actually really healthy. And kids need that. Because I think a lot of the yeah. things that adults struggle with is when adults haven't had boundaries as, as children. And then they go into the real world, almost expected and entitled that they causes issues because they've not had healthy boundaries set to understand that sometimes people can't give you what they, what you need. And that's okay. Yeah. Because as you said, everyone's going through their own thing. And it's just a case of actually people yeah. take out those boundaries. And again, it's something that I've had to really work on because I was a people pleaser constantly and never setting boundaries. Once you learn to actually put those boundaries in for yourself and understand that sometimes the boundaries got to shift because again, you can't live in your own selfish bubble. Sometimes it's got to shift, but you've got to know what do you want? What do you actually want? Yeah. Set those boundaries in there from a kind of loving place, communicate them well. And then the kids will learn to do that, especially your daughter. She will learn. Yeah. I need my own boundaries here to actually make sure that I'm okay. Yeah. And I think, you know, you want to tell your kids what to do, mm-hmm. but I see now that my kids observe what I do and they copy their behavior. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, when I was a screaming mother and I didn't have any energy to spend with them and being present with them, you know, our relationship wasn't as it is today. You know, especially my son, because he's very sensitive. I had to work on our relationship again because I had drift apart because I didn't have the patience. I did. I wasn't present. You know, I couldn't be with him when he had, you know, a, a sensitive moment. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think for parents, you know, like if you're not filling your cup, you can't do all of that. It doesn't matter you know, how many gifts and mature things you can give to them and even experience, all they want is very simple things. Mm-hmm. You know, they just want to be with you. They want to you being present with them and they want to cop you to a certain extent. And if you, if you, if you are really modeling uh, behaviors and habits that are not healthy, you can't tell them to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Like when my kids wake up, they wake up, I have already done my meditation. I have already done my exercise. I don't have to tell my kids that exercise is important. They would tell me they're 10 and 8 now. They would tell me, well, let's go for a walk because we haven't done anything today. I need to do more things. You know, mom, you know, let's just go for a, a surf or let's, you know, let's, let's just go, you know, do this. Let's, you know, like they, this is it. Mm-hmm. I don't have to tell them. Mm-hmm. 
that's that is such a massive thing that I, I think people are missing is just understanding that kids pick up on everything that you do and when people work with me one of the biggest things people say is my relationship with my kids has improved i've had that a lot recently yeah. especially when i've really focused on the mindset stuff because what happens is like i said parents shout and then the kids shout yeah. back and it's like okay yeah. so you're blaming the kid it's not the yeah. kids fault. what's happening is you've woken up late you've got no kind of organization you're rushing around you then told your kids to put the shoes on and because it's not on your time which is unrealistic you're shouting at the kid but actually once you get your life in order you're in a really good place you'll notice that actually the kids doing what what they need to do to put the shoes on in a timely manner you're not rushed you are also responding to that situation not reacting now you're now responding yeah and then the kids are then responding back to you differently if you shout at a kid they're going to shout back actually if you speak to yeah. them from a loving compassionate place as you said they'll be like oh okay and then they go back and it's, it's it, i love it when um parents say to me that their relationship with the kids has improved purely because they're showing up as this different version and then the kids are actually giving that back it's, it's amazing to actually see now again very okay i know it's evening for you so if you want to um ask a question i always ask my my my, my, uh, my guests this has been by the way this has been an amazing episode like we've, we've gone all over the place but it's been really yeah. powerful i think for a number of reasons i think a lot of people especially parents could take a lot from this but not even necessarily parents because a lot of the stuff you've mentioned has been like pre-stuff like do this so you don't have this it's been very very powerful um but what advice would you give to someone that does feel a little bit of stuck and out of control with their life right now what well, i know again the, the list is endless but what's one bit of advice you could actually give to maybe even uh younger you like, what advice would you give to someone that does feel like yeah you know it's really interesting when you talk about the younger version of me i was so stubborn i don't think i would have listened to anything you know i think that um I think firstly, people need to be open to change and be in that place of that crossroad, right? Like, okay, I, I want to do something about this because I'm in so much suffering that I'm no longer um, want to put up with this, right? And I think once you're in that place, um, small changes, they compound into massive impact. Mm -hmm. When people ask me, what did you do? Like, I didn't do anything crazy. You know, I started walking around the block during chemo. I started dragging myself to walk around the block. On my worst days, that's all I could do. On my best days, I would just go for it. I would do an hour yoga, an hour walk. Uh, you know, I started changing one meal at a time, one thing at a time. I didn't change anything overnight. I started working on, on one of my patterns, of my habits, you know, the anger first. They stress second. I didn't go like I have to change. I have to become this new person overnight. Mm -hmm. And I think when people think that, they get overwhelmed and they get paralyzed and they don't do anything. Mm -hmm. And when they start, you know, when they think about, you know, if I say to somebody like, you start, you know, with 10 minutes walk, they'll be like, well, that's not going to do anything. Well, guess what? This is why I'm here. Mm -hmm. I'm 43 and I'm at the best shape of my life. I started with a 10 minutes walk. So don't underestimate the power of a 10 minute walk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I never thought I never thought I was going to be here. I was just I was so present in each day in each moment because that's all I could do that I just kept doing it and I you know before I knew I was like oh my god. I finished 12 sessions of chemo feeling stronger than I started. Mm -hmm. Nobody would have predicted that not even myself. Isn't it so powerful though? People want this end result to climb the mountain. How do you climb a mountain? One step at a time. So, oh, yeah. what, what, what's ten? What's ten minutes of walking going to do? Well, it's going to lead to fifteen. Fifteen needs to 20, yeah. 20, 25. It's like people want this end result, but it's understand you have to start somewhere. And this is again yeah. the power of social media. You're seeing people's end of result that they're millionaires. Okay, I'm telling you now, they didn't become a millionaire overnight. I guarantee they failed no. 15, 20, 30, 40 times. <laughs> and how do they make the million? They made it $1 yeah. at a time, one pound at a time. It then compounds yeah. up, but people don't see that. They see this big end mountain thing. So like, no, no, just take one step at a time, take one day at a time, change one thing yeah. at a time. As you said, it then compounds. You then get stronger. And the most important thing is you get momentum. And once momentum's yes. on your side, it becomes easier and easier and easier. Once you start, it becomes easier. Exactly. And, you know, and this is why I think as well, like I said, I think, you know, what people need to do is just a combination of two things, the physical and an emotional habit, right? It could be a 10 minutes walk and a five minutes meditation. So you're doing something for your body or something for your mind. Mm -hmm. You know, again, what, what would five minutes meditation do? You're not going to become a monk tomorrow mm -hmm. if that's what you want. 
but but that's going to give you a glimpse of how to still and quiet your mind mm -hmm. and the more you do it the more you practice you know the more you're going to want to do it mm -hmm. mm. and the less shout you're going to become your kid the more patient you're going to become the more present you're going to become mm. you know those little things that i think that people don't realize that how important they are and how powerful they are mm, absolutely uh honestly angelica this has been absolutely incredible where can people find out more information about you so i am on facebook um on youtube and on linkedin at the moment uh, and i also have a website angelicaisland.com and yeah just people can get in touch and um go from there Awesome. I'll get Mikey to put that all across the, the screen and also be in the show notes as well. Uh, Angelica, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.